0: listening to the Elephant in the Room podcast with your host Sutta Singh. Each week we will bring you a diverse range of inspiring speakers on issues of inequality and inequity. You will hear stories about fairness, justice, belonging and about best practice for creating a more inclusive workplace. So if you are an individual or leader interested in a fairer, Equitable, compassionate society and workplace, this podcast is for you.
1: My guest on the Elephant in the Room podcast this week is Silesh Haripati, Board Chairman, Audit Committee Chair, and Independent Director at some of India's leading organizations. Silesh is also an author and a net zero evangelist. Good afternoon, Silesh. Brilliant to have you as a guest on the Elephant in the Room podcast. Thank you for being with us today.
2: I'm absolutely delighted to be in this podcast with you and conversing with you. Such a delight. And I'm looking forward to our conversation.
1: Brilliant. As a quick introduction in a couple of sentences, could you tell us about what you do? And I know it will be very difficult because you have such vast experience. (laughs) Well, I'm seeking
2: to be a co-traveller on many journeys with individuals or organizations who want to achieve net positive. And all my work and all my energies and my thinking and everything that I do is revolving around how can we get people to believe that if they become net positive, they will also be much better scaled, very much more profitable, and will certainly be green.
1: Ah, that's a tough job, but a great <laughs> ambition to have. So what are the drivers for ESG reporting or communications in India? Let's start with the government commitment. The Indian Prime Minister made some commitments at COP in November 2022. But what are the compulsions for India as a country? I mean, what is going to happen if we do not take these things into consideration and have the policy and the regulation to support it?
2: Tremendous question. And I think the Prime Minister gave the world what he called Panchamrit, which was largely focused on decarbonization in every which way, through energy transition, through making sure that everybody gets onto the path of reducing uh, the usage of fossil fuels and all of that. And he has followed it up by carrying that conviction into his leadership role at the G20. This is a fantastic move by the Prime Minister and by the country. It just reestablishes India's credentials that we want to be part of the solution. We do not wish to add to the problem. And as proof of that, the extent to which we have built up renewable capacity is way ahead of our commitments, at least by five years. We are five years ahead in the race to establish the capacity for renewables. Now it's a matter of bringing all that capacity into the energy mix, make sure that the grid becomes active, make sure that we can have continuous power through a mix of renewables based on solar, wind, bioenergy, nuclear, that is also very much now in the news and which is likely to get reactivated. And very importantly, we have a whole lot of hydropower which we need to harness. So we will have this entire bouquet of renewables which can ultimately make us confident that we can run the grid at some point in time in the future purely on renewables
1: but i mean there has to be some timeline some tracking because this is Absolutely. not an amorphous thing that is going to happen what are the implications of not being prepared for that situation
2: let's first talk about tractability and timelines mm-hmm. so we are hearing that the next budget statement itself will plug in india's commitments on climate okay so we will see that not only the national budget, but also the state level budgets will start reflecting the commitment on the 17 SDGs. So that's the first point that is important to hold in our minds about India's commitment. The next point, which is important is that the people who are producing this energy are completely connected. There is a comprehensive change in the ownership patterns of these very large projects. I'm seeing that each one of them is now being held by extremely long-term patient capital, which has no exit line. That is a crucial thing to note about India and the way that India is changing, the way it's renewable assets are owned this also gives us a tremendous scaffolding to make sure that we are in it for the long run capacities are being enhanced through use of the latest technologies so that is also happening the productivity of solar is improving quite well the productivity of wind is improving bioenergy is taking off it's in nascent state but it's taking off very well hydro we had a wrong kind of ownership pattern on the hydro projects and that has been corrected. And nuclear is purely in government hands and it's likely to stay that way. So we have all of these constructs in place to make sure that we can meet and exceed our targets. And there is no going back because these are long-term investments which will continue to produce the desired returns because we are still working on a cost plus basis so far as our energy is concerned. So that is a comprehensive way to look at how India is dealing with making this sustainable, making it look long term and actually making it happen.
1: In terms of regulatory requirements, because what prompts organizations to adopt practices that target SDGs. Of course, it is what profits they can make or sustainability or the risk, etc. But regulatory requirements are probably the first prompts for organizations to move in that direction. So what is the regulation in India that requires organizations to move in a certain direction? And then after we discuss this, we'll talk a bit about the BRSR reporting.
2: The first thing that to note is that we... Came in with our environmental protection laws uh, way back. They are on the statute book for decades. And so that has been a very good trial run, if you like, for Indian industry to be sure that they get aware of what are the obligations they must meet to keep the rivers clean, to not have discharges which are toxic, to not contaminate soil. All of those regulations have been fed into the psyche of indian industry over years and years over decades of epa laws the enforcement of those laws has also improved significantly there's a whole lot of public process surrounding permissions environmental permissions so there is a whole gamut of regulations which you need to be in compliance with if you want to start a project which has the danger of either contaminating a river body or affecting forest or doing anything that would violate environmental norms. So that is the first big stake that we put in the ground. Then we started tightening the incentive structure around renewables. So renewables, India is one of the few countries which has a separate ministry for renewable energy. It's a completely independent ministry, which is supporting all of these projects by financing, by good regulation, by making sure that costs get correctly calculated, by making sure that the tariff is fair, by making sure that the grid will accept the power. And while we are not fully there, there is a whole lot of regulatory support to make all of this happen. That is the way. And now we have the regulators of the listed environment, namely the Securities and Exchange Board of India and the Reserve Bank of India and the IRDA, which is the insurance regulator, all getting into the act.
1: Yeah. And so BRSR reporting, tell us more about it. And what are (laughs) the implications for corporates? There are already so many reporting standards, frameworks, a lot of confusion around what organizations should adopt? Do they need to comply with all of it? Or how do they actually decide on what to follow and what not to follow? I mean, the material stuff is different, but I think even on the materiality stuff, they get a bit confused about whether they have to do everything that everyone is doing. Will they see it as an additional burden or this is the first step to being compliant with probably non-mandatory stuff, like some global standards? Okay.
2: Lovely. So, first of all, let me say that Indian industry was prepared. Like in everything else, we had the trial run. So, we had business responsibility reporting, which is BR, which has been in place for the last seven years. So, BR actually transitioned and moved into BRSR, which is a 151 different parameter driven framework, which enables corporate India to actually measure what is happening in their environment. So everything has a measure, whether it is DEI or it is your human rights practices. I'm taking the tougher things first, whether it is the way you can show that you are well governed whether it is your environmental footprint, your carbon, your GHG gases, all of that will now be positively measured because what you don't measure can never be improved. And therefore, this realization is very much there. As soon as this framework became visible, and perhaps even before that, there were many people who actually converted this framework into a set of parameters and a set of algorithms, which will, in a digital manner, support the implementation by corporate. Technology. So what has happened is that there are at least 10 different digital platforms available. One which we support strongly is what is called Gaviva which is governance leading to economic value add. And that is a framework that now covers the entire spectrum of sustainability issues. So that is the other enabling and useful thing that has been put into place in India to support corporate. Of course, initially people saw it as an additional regulatory burden. But a lot of people had already issued what are called integrated reports. And there was this whole transition and this whole ambassador happened over many years. Personally, I was an ambassador for integrated reporting for the last many years. So wherever I could have an influence, I persuaded companies to actually go out and put out their report on six capitals as opposed to just, the financial capital. And that got people ready. And then, when these regulations came about, people sought out digital platforms, help from uh, organizations which were geared to make sure that this can happen. Today, we can automate completely, digitally, the production of the BRSR report. And very interestingly, what we've also done is made whole framework capable of being expressed in any global framework that a company needs to report on. So let's say an Indian company has a large European footprint. Then we can convert the same data, which will produce the BRSR report, into GRI-compliant report. And we can tweak it to meet any regulatory standard good news for the world is that the ISSB is working very hard to actually bring about harmony. Mm -hmm. And India is a very strong supporter of ISSB. There is a committee formed by the Institute of Chartered Accountants of India, on which I serve, (coughs) which is actually actively supporting the creation of the global standard. So from every pathway, the attempt is to make sure that we make it as easy and as empowering to Indian industry as we possibly can. That's the approach and attitude that people have taken in India.
1: I guess in terms of preparedness, it would be the bigger companies that are more prepared or some of them are more prepared than others. Are there some sectors which are like sort of ahead of the game than others?
2: You know, the first thousand listed companies by market cap are the ones who are obligated to do this reporting. So they have all started dusting out their frameworks and formats and are making whatever attempts. Everybody is on a different path in the curve. Some people are already there, many, about 65 companies have already done before the due date compliance with BRSR. So wow. you can imagine the enthusiasm that yeah. BRSR has because it's pulled out of GRI. If you were to compare GRI and BRSR, you will find tremendous overlap. Okay. And so people have taken this BRSR very positively.
1: Okay.
2: That is this voluntary compliance which is getting engendered. What SEBI is also doing is it is working on what is called BRSR Light. So there will be a lesser rigorous framework, not this 151 rules that I talked about. There will be far less variables mm-hmm. for the small and medium enterprises so that we can build in the scope three as well. So BRSR Light will address the needs of scope three and of the MSME population in India. So you can see that we are trying to cater to different sizes, different complexities, make sure that the framework will enable computation, and bring out meaningful data that analysts and others can actually accept. And all of this is a likelihood that India will be amongst the first countries to require mandatory assurance of the BRSR.
1: Okay, that's a good thing. I think in the UK, we are still looking at standards and we are looking at Europe because Europe is far ahead. I think there'll be some inspiration from the TCFT, definitely, but we are still not there. What I can see from the industry, whether it is here or whether it is in India from the little interactions that I've had, is that so reporting has been on for some time the environmental financial part is better done than the social part but still I mean some of the biggest companies are still struggling and thinking about how should we do this in a way that we're able to communicate what we are trying to do more authentically and it doesn't look like okay so we have to report some data sets and we're just sharing some data
2: sets. Yeah, no, let me share with you what's happening in one of the largest groups in the country. So they have taken exactly what you are talking about, the S part of the ESG. And they are building a framework for the whole group, which will be rolled out for individuals in the group to make sure that they will achieve best practice in the world. They're not aiming to be best in India they mean to be globally benchmarked against the best. So what are they wanting to benchmark against? They want to benchmark against the company which received the highest ranking in th- their particular industry to which one of the group companies belongs on the DJSI index. So that's where the efforts are being made through benchmarking, through double materiality, concept deployment. Through rigorous frameworks of measurement, the DEI, the human rights, the workplace neutrality, the entire set of S issues, health, safety, all of that are being benchmarked to the best in the world. And this is being linked with the HR function. So that the HR function supports all of this because the data resides largely in HR MIS systems. And therefore, this integration is being attempted. So you can see that the attempt is to get to benchmark level, as opposed to let's just make sure that this is compliant and you tick the box. That is a very interesting insight that I am seeing from the largest groups in the country
1: it's very interesting to hear because my next question was on how do you go beyond compliance? That should be the effort. So after some time, reporting is going to become like standard. So how do you show that you're going beyond?
2: Brilliant question. Brilliant question. So let's take S. Let's stay with S. How will I demonstrate that I've implemented S well? If I can be in the top five companies in every industry that I have a foothold in the five best places to work in India or if I aspire to be the best place to work in the world, that is the prize worth going after because that's going to attract the best in class employees to my table. And that is the attempt that this particular group that I have in mind is wanting to achieve. And many people are along the same path. Everybody Wants to make sure that they have the best human resources that they can find and deploy and keep and harness to make sure that they feel comfortable, feel that they can be part of this whole missionary approach to making sure that you are doing things which are world class in every
1: which way. Interesting. I mean, there is a war for talent across the world, and you cannot do anything without talent. How should Indian companies address societal concerns on inequalities, including gender, caste, other protected characteristics? Data shows that we're still struggling to make progress on gender in India. I know the Indian IT industry speaks a lot about how welcoming they are, but women make up just 25% of that IT workforce. At the entry level, they're 50%, but if you look at managerial level, it goes seriously down.
2: Way down. Absolutely. Yeah. A brilliant question again. Let me put it this way From the highest levels, I have heard conversations on what quantum of GDP can be enhanced simply by getting women into the workforce. Let's park that for a minute. Let's look at the greatest, fastest growing segment of the finance market. It is the MX, which is the funding which happens to self-help groups, microfinance it's called, and which is taken in by groups of women who cross-guarantee the repayment of this money. Now, the company that I sit on the board of is the number one disburser of microfinance. And you will be very happy to know that our collection record on the day on which the collection is due is above 99.78%. And this is in rural India. So, this is where we are beginning to reach out. See, India should not be viewed only in terms of employment statistics. A large part of the women in India are instinctively entrepreneurs. And they instinctively need flexibility in working hours and working time and working habits and all of that. This is very important because even today, the woman is seen to be the protector, and the curator of the home, which is a role that has shifted out from that part of the population in other parts of the world. It has not shifted out from India. And therefore, the attempt that India is trying to make is to make this workplace neutrality a reality. So the S part of ESG in India will depend for its success to bring in the diversity and to bring in all the other factors to show that women's power will be actually harnessed, which it must be. We need to be sensitive to these issues. And our computation must change. We must look at all these women entrepreneurs. I went to a village and I was interacting with this self-help group and its leader and what was the work that they were doing? They were creating brooms with which we sweep homes. The part of India where they were operating in has a lot of dust flying around because there was factories and yeah, there was yeah. cement dust and whatever. So they were making brooms. And this mm-hmm. woman proudly tells me that she has become a lakpati. That means a person who owns more than 100,000 rupees. So proudly they said it from entrepreneurship. That was their net surplus in that period that we were discussing. So this part of India is not well documented, is not in anybody's imagination, but this is a very important part of India.
1: True, true. I mean, working with Pradhan, I have had the good fortune to engage and interact with women who've made huge strides in some of the poorest areas. And Pradhan works with women on livelihoods and microfinance is a huge part of how they manage that. And the cooperatives and the successful businesses that they have set up and also how they use the power of collective. I think women Correct. in rural areas really, really work as a collective to change their fortune and their future and their destiny, I'd say. It's really very interesting. Moving on from there, there have been a lot of rumbling around how ESG reporting is perhaps distracting companies from doing their business, being competitive and making money. What are your thoughts?
2: I think it's the biggest myth that we need to blow on this podcast right now, right here. (laughs) It's amazing, you know, if you put on the lens of sustainability, you can actually envision a far more profitable, far more scaled up future. And I have seen it time and again, for example, the cost of renewable power, marginal cost is about a eighth of the cost of fossil fuel power. Nobody in their right minds would not want to see a future where all power is renewable if your cost is going to drop so dramatically. So how is it, in anybody's conception, a cost? It's actually a phenomenal reduction in cost. Energy transition in India, when it is fully complete, as I had described earlier, the cost of power will come crashing down. We will have amongst the lowest cost of power competing with the places where everybody is moving because they want power at cheap price—that is the future we can look forward to. How can that be a costly future? Costs have to be democratized, and they will be. That's only in this area. Look at EV: the cost of petrol versus the cost of maintaining mm-hmm. a EV car. This just on two different planets. Therefore, for anybody to have this conception that being green or practicing ESG is costly is simply not knowing what they're saying. And therefore, we need to blow this myth.
1: It is a myth. To those getting started on the journey, what would your advice be? What are the three, five things they should be doing?
2: So one, be sincere. Very important. No greenwashing should be permitted. From the beginning, the DNA should be of honest reporting, of honest commitment to purpose and making sure that what you report is really what you are doing. And that is the infrastructure that all of us together should get engaged in creating. That's the most crucial part of the journey. Because on the one hand, there is skepticism about the complexity of ESG. On the other hand, there is this myth that we've just blown that it is costly. And if you add to that in the toxic mix, then it is also subject to greenwashing and therefore penalties, then you're not going to get what you want to get. And therefore, I would say it is critically important that greenwashing is avoided at all costs. So that would be my three-point program. Be sincere, exactly. be committed, be truthful, never greenwash.
1: That's a big challenge because I think currently there are a lot of people who are engaged in that. Very little action, but a lot of talk around vague things around goals and what they're doing. Would you like to take names, name people who are doing it well?
2: Of course. I mean, I think in India, the Tata Group is doing it extremely well. Reliance is doing it well. The Mahindras are way up there. JSW is doing a fabulous job, sincere job, when I read their sustainability reports, it's like a storybook. It's so engaging, so gripping. Even the Vedanta group has brought out such phenomenal sustainability reports. So I would say the top 10 groups in India, the Birla's included, very conscious about their environmental credentials. All of them are doing a fantastic job at bringing out some of world-class literature on the subject.
1: I think that's encouraging and interesting to hear. You'd mentioned about the ISB, the standardization that is being worked on. From that point of view, you think that there's also talk about getting ESG reporting into like financial reporting? So it'd be a part of your financial reporting depending on your cycle or when you report.
2: That's a brilliant question. The future of all financial reporting is integrated reporting. So let me take you to the year 2035. You will not see a balance sheet in the form that you are seeing it today. Because the balance sheet will be expressed in terms of how the six capitals of integrated reporting have actually transitioned over the period. So we have to look at the financial capital, the environmental capital, the human capital, the reputation capital, the innovation capital, and the physical capital. And you'll see perhaps a financial report on an OTT platform, and that would be sufficient compliance rather than it being this very boring 600-page book, which yeah. very few people would want to read. You will see it in pictures, in video, in drafts, in content which is engaging and which is telling you the true story of what has happened so far. What is the current reality? And therefore, what can you expect this organization to do in future that's That's the vision of how all reporting will happen Mm,
1: that's very interesting to hear and we get the last question what is your ambition for YCWI
2: (laughs) well our ambition is to be on as many journeys as we can absorb through our ability to scale up and scale down as the demand emerges So we would love to be on 2,000 journeys (laughs) with everybody who is interested to make a contribution to net positive.
1: Wow, that's a good ambition to have. And all the best for that. I'm sure you'll get there with the team. Thank you very much, Sailesh, for this very, very interesting, enlightening conversation. And I look forward to... progressing and you know talking on some of these further in detail in the future
2: sure it will be an absolute delight and let me compliment you on the extraordinary effort that you put in to frame the questions so brilliantly and to just provoke all the thoughts out of my mind very spontaneously thank you so much
1: thank you Silesh. thank you
0: Thank you for joining us this week on the Elephant in the Room podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on any of your favorite platforms. iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts. And if you enjoyed listening to the podcast today, don't forget to write a review and tell your friends. Sign up on the link in the show notes to receive updates on our guest speakers, blogs and events. And don't forget to tune in every Thursday for new episodes.